Hey, good morning, everyone. My name is uh, Mike, and uh, I don't know how to describe myself anymore. I'm like a visiting teacher or something like that. I'm not, not sure. But I'm a part of this family, and it's good to be back. And uh, hey, the rumors are true. Uh, I am a grandfather right now. Yes, I know I don't look a day over 35, but um, yes, I am a grandfather. And I think we have a picture of baby Ezra. Up there, uh, so Ezra's kind of a, uh, he, he had a uh, special delivery. He um, has this, this special thing called gastroschisis. He had to go right into emergency surgery, and uh, he's going to be in the NICU for about six weeks. But we're just so, so happy to, to have baby Ezra with us. I know many of you were praying, and I want to thank you for uh, praying for him. Things went, uh, is the best, just the best case scenario, best case scenario. The folks down there at Children's Hospital are absolutely amazing, and they know know exactly what to do. So um, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to um, the book of Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And if uh, you have a, one of the uh, Story of God Bibles, you'll find that on eight, page 817. And um, many of you know that we're going through this series that we're calling Empowered. And uh, as we're using this series, as we do kind of in September, is kind of remind ourselves who we are as a church. And so we've been marching through uh, our... Um, mission statement here which the video did a great job of really teeing up and so week one where so we are a family of followers of jesus helping others follow jesus and week one troy lather the lead pastor um helped us understand what does it mean to, to be a family okay for us to be a family together and then last week ryan talked about what does it what does it look like for us to follow jesus and what does it actually mean to to be followers of jesus and today uh we're going to talk about what does it mean and what does it look like to help others to follow jesus okay and so um while you're looking for um the verse in colossians that we're going to look at today um i want to tell you about my friend you got a friend many of you may know him if you've been a part of kettlebrook for any length of time his name is saboch saboch is a hungarian he's a church leader and um and saboch has kind of a difficult task saboch lives in eastern europe eastern europe is roughly about 10 to 20 years sociologically ahead of where the United States is in terms of trends and belief and stuff like that. And so he, he has a difficult job. He has to help hardened, skeptical, cynical, postmodern, post-Christian, Eastern Europeans be open to the good news of Jesus Christ. Can you believe that? that uh, how difficult that must be? Is, is how do you find help someone who is, who is skeptical, cynical about religion, and maybe it has been disillusioned or disenchanted with the church for some reason, some way, shape, or form. Be open to understand and maybe even accept the good news of Jesus Christ. Hey, can you think of anybody like that in your life? Anybody close to you? You might know know someone. We're not we're not too far behind Eastern Europe in in that respect, right? That we there's probably people, a lot of people that you know in your circle of influence who fall into that same category. I know. Uh, many of my friends uh, who grew up Catholic are feeling a real disillusionment with the Catholic Church right now after seeing what has happened in, in that denomination over the past 20 or 30 years. It, we're not immune from this at all. I mean, this is happening. Some of the biggest names in the business are, are falling, and we're giving people plenty of reasons to walk away from church or be disillusioned. The church that I now work at, uh, is uh, the largest church in Wisconsin. And in the last 18 months, they lost 
their executive pastor and their lead pastor to moral failing. Okay, they both were unfaithful to their spouses, and they both got disqualified. And so, so a lot of people just see that and they experience that, and they're like, "All right, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, kind of done. I'm kind of through. I'm kind of just disillusioned with this, this whole Christianity bit." And so, how, how are we gonna, how are we gonna reach people who are, who are in that camp who don't want anything to do with uh, with Christianity anyway. So that's kind of the question that I want us to wrestle with this morning, okay, is how do we help people understand and, and how do we appropriately and winsomely help others to follow Jesus in a culture, in a context that has maybe largely given up on God and perhaps has become disillusioned in the church, with the church. And so to do that, we're going to look at this guy uh, in that Paul mentions in Colossians. And I want to read Colossians chapter 1. We're going to Get, start in the middle of verse 6 and read through verse 8. He says, All over the world this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. Okay, this is how they, how they heard it. Okay? You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Okay? So we read something like that, and immediately all sorts of questions kind of come into our mind. Like, number one, like, who is this guy? Epaphras. Like, never heard of him before. I mean, like, sort of some of you who might read your Bible or study your Bible and stuff like that, you're like, okay, I don't, I don't remember him in the book of Acts. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't get a mention in the book of Acts. Uh, he's not one of the, he's certainly not one of the 12 apostles, you know. He's just regular no name unprofessional follower of jesus christ okay not he doesn't get much shout out in in the just he's mentioned twice here in colossians and and another time in 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 another book but we don't know a whole lot about him okay he's just regular rank and file follower of jesus christ which is my point exactly is that if we ever want to be a church that makes impact in our community, in our region, in our neighborhoods, is we need to begin to see all of us, every single one of us, followers of Jesus Christ, as, as being used by God. Okay? It's not just up to the paid professionals. Okay? It's, it's not going to happen if four or five people in the church who are paid to be on staff uh, are helping others to follow Jesus Christ. This is something that we all get invited to participate in. And it's really interesting. It says here about uh, Epaphras. It says, you learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful, and what does your word say? Faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. Okay? And you're like this word minister, okay? You're like, okay, well, Mike, that, that disqualifies me because I, I'm not a minister, okay? I haven't been all revved up and all that stuff, so I haven't, you know, can't do all that stuff. But, um, but this word minister is a, is a really interesting word. It is the Greek word diakonos, which we read the word deacon from, and which it means it means a servant or you know a a minister. And actually, Paul uses this exact same word diakonos in Ephesians chapter four when he's talking about that the Spirit was given to build up to to equip sorry to equip the the people of God. Okay, who's who's the people of God? 
All of you, right? Equip the people of God for works of service. And that word service there is the word diakonos, which is also translated ministry. So the, the Spirit was given so that the people of God would be built up, all of you would be built up and equipped for works of ministry. Okay? Now, oftentimes people come to me and, and they're like, Pastor Mike, Pastor Mike, Pastor Mike, Mike, I feel like God is calling me ministry. To which I reply usually, you a Christian? Well, yeah, yeah, I am. Okay, too late. You're already called. You're already, you're already called into, into ministry. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are called into ministry. We all get a chance to be a, a part of it. So there's this heresy in, this, in the church, and this heresy basically says that there's this two-tiered system. It's like there's these people who we get who pay, and they're on staff in the church, and they do all the work, and they're the ones that help follow, people become followers of Jesus Christ, and the rest of us just kind of sit and pay. And that's a heresy that is crippling the church. That everywhere in the church history and in the scriptures and around the world today, when we see the gospel taking off in amazing and phenomenal ways, it's not the paid professionals. It's not the preachers. It's not the leaders of the church. It's rank and file ordinary people like all of you who are sharing Jesus with others, just like Epaphras did, okay, just at the very, very beginning, okay? Now, we need to understand this more than ever because if we're ever going to be get, off, get in first base as far as reaching people in our community, we, we need to realize that it's not just going to be uh, for up to four or five individuals and also that the way that the church has structured itself in America for the last century or more just doesn't work. It just, it just doesn't work. The rules have changed, and we're still playing ball as if the rules have, never, have not changed. Okay? 30 years ago, um, Kevin Costner starred in, in this movie called Field of Dreams. Okay? Field of Dreams. I think we got a picture of Field of Dreams. That was 30 years ago. Can you imagine that, folks? Now, some of you, I just made you, some of you feel real old. Okay? Yeah, but the thirty years and and in in Field of Dreams, Kevin Costner plays uh, Iowa farmer Ray, and Ray one night hears a mysterious voice, and and what does the mysterious voice say? Remember that? Yeah, right. If we build, if you build it, they will come. If you build it, they will come. And of course, he was talking about all these baseball players and stuff like that. But churches around the United States. They latched onto that phrase, and they said, "This is wonderful. We can leverage this for our building campaigns. So when we build, you know, a new sanctuary or a new gathering space or you know a new whatever, we they they literally use the phrase. If we build it, they will come. It doesn't matter that our church is 300 people now. You know, we're going to build this sanctuary that holds a thousand people, and if we build it, they will come. And that worked for about a decade." And what happened is people who grew up in a, maybe a more liturgical church, more traditional church, and dropped out of their parents' church you know, when they became adults and they were still kind of interested in, in Christianity, they, they came and checked out the new kind of church, the non-denominational church. And they said, oh, I like this. And so they voted with their feet. And what happened is we became experts at turning Christians into Christians, at turning people who grew up in the church to become followers of Jesus Christ. And that's all well well and good. And But what happened is at some point we ran out of Christians to reach. And all we had left were 
good old-fashioned, unchurched people who didn't follow or believe or raised anything. And we didn't know what to do with them. And so we just did nothing. And church attendance continues to decline in America. Now, I'll tell you what we should have done. We should have done exactly what Epaphras did. And it's exactly what the leadership of this church is trying to get everyone to understand or they're going to die trying. And that's that every single one of us is equipped and empowered by the Holy Spirit to help others to follow Jesus Christ. That's the only way uh, that the job is going to get done. And so we all need to be, be like this, this guy, Epaphras, who was normal, unnamed person, but ended up planting a church because he went back to his hometown. Now, if you turn over uh, to chapter 4, Epaphras is mentioned again at the end of Colossians. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 12, it says this about Epaphras. Epaphras, who is one of you? And a servant of Christ Jesus sends his greetings. So Epaphras is one of them. He's a Colossian. He's from this area. He's from Colossae. Okay? And so this says a lot more than just where he, where he grew up. Okay? This, he was a Colossian. He was accepted by the Colossians. They claimed him as one of his own. They said, yes, we, we accept him as one of He had huge relational networks he says he says hey epaphras who is one of you sends his greetings you guys know him you guys love him you're in relationship with him and remember when epaphras first accepted jesus and first accepted the gospel there were no other followers of jesus in colossian in Colossae. okay where paul says in chapter 1 verse 7 he says you first heard it from epaphras and so every single relational network that epaphras ever had was a potential recipient of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he had tons of them. He had tons of relationships. And this is always the way that the gospel flows. The good news of Jesus Christ flows through the conduit of personal relationships, of personal friendships, from one person to the next. Okay? And Epaphras just had tons of them begs the question for each one of us that we need to ask ourselves is do we have in our relational network friends, people, co-workers who are far from Jesus? Who don't go to church? Who don't claim to or ascribe to any one particular religion? Okay, Do we have, do we have space or margin in our calendar to, to hang out with people like that? When we get when we have some free time, who do we go to watch the Packer game with? Now, if you take inventory of your, of your relational network, of your kind of relational portfolio, and you don't have any real friends you do life with that are far from God, that's good information for you. Don't, don't be too hard on yourself. Okay, no shame here. But the chances of you ever getting around to helping another follow Jesus Christ are increasingly slim. Only almost nil if you have no friends who don't follow Jesus Christ. And so 
We need, we need to be working on this. We need to be, we need to be nurturing this and, and making, making decisions. And because I know how it works. We all, we all tend to like to hang out with people who, you know, who act like us, behave like us, talk like us, vote like us, think like us, you know, and all of that. And, and, but what happens is if you only surround yourself with people like that, lose God's heart for those people that he cares about most. Okay? I, uh, I, I have this friend who's in inner city ministry in Milwaukee, and, and he moved there with his family. So you've got to give him credit for that. He moved into the city uh, with his family. And, uh, and he knows that I'm a biker. He knows that I love to ride my bike, and, and, um, and he does too. And so he's always organizing these rides. And he's like, Mike, Mike, come down, come down and walk and go on a ride with us. We're going to go up to Port Washington, or we're going to go down somewhere. We're going to do the Oak Leaf Trail or something like that. And so finally I, I, I acquiesced, and I went, you know, a couple Saturdays ago to go with him. We met at Estabrook Park there right off the Capitol, and, and we started going north on the on the Oak Leaf Trail, and, and he's starting to introduce me to these other guys, about seven or eight guys that are biking with him. He's like, he's like, well, Mike, this guy, this is Joe. He's the, he's the pastor of the church that I go to in, in Milwaukee. And, and you know this guy, you know, Tim, he's, he's a former missionary to Nepal, okay? So he's a missionary to Nepal. And you know that guy over there, he's, you know, on staff at a church and stuff like that. And, uh, and I'm like, <laughs> nice to meet you, you know. I'm like, these are all Christians, like professional Christians. And, and, and he, my friend keeps calling me back, and he's like, hey, Mike, we're going riding again this Saturday. You know you want to come? And I keep making up excuses to not go with him. And then finally I sat down with him. I'm like, listen, bro, you know, I love you, but you know what? I'm like, I'm like, I now work at the largest church in Wisconsin, all right? So I'm like hanging out with, with Christians all day long. The people that I work with are paid professionals, all right? I need to hang out with normal people, okay? I just need to say normal people. I want to hang out with people who don't believe the same things that I do, who don't, you know, uh, you know, have faith like I do. And so I want to intentionally go out. And so it doesn't help me to just go and, and just spend time with, with the people that you're hanging out with. And so, you know, sometimes leaving the 99 we follow Jesus, who he's the one who left the 99 to go off in search of the one. Sometimes, sometimes leaving the 99 means that you create space in your calendar. So when your neighbors call you up to go join them on the back porch for a bonfire, you can go. Or that when it comes time to watch the Packer game, instead of watching Packer game with your small group or your missional community, you, you go and you go with, watch it with people from work or people to hang out with. That's, that's what it looks like. So Epaphras was this person with this huge relational network of people who are far from God and did life with them and eventually shared the good news with them. The gospel always flows through these relational networks. And then it says this. It says, He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Epaphras is a man of prayer. He was a man who prayed earnestly for his friends, that they would be, uh, that they would know God, that God would work in their hearts, that he would, God would open up their hearts and their minds, so that they would understand the gospel and believe it, and eventually that they would stand firm in their faith. It says that he wrestled in prayer. Okay, a, a phrase that we we use too much days. Days we're we're doing backflips on staff. If we can just get people to pray, you know, that's great. But the wrestle in prayer means that he was agonizing, just 
regularly, consistently, persistently bringing these people, his friends, by name before the God the Father and saying, God, would you work in their life, please? Would you open up their eyes and their hearts so that they would receive the, the things of God? And, you know, John Wesley once said one time, he's an old-time Christian, lived hundreds of years ago. But uh, um, John Wesley said, he said, God does nothing but by through prayer. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. But can you imagine how our prayer lives would change if we began to believe that? Like, how is my friend going to come to understand who Jesus is and receive the good news if someone isn't praying for him? That God would open up his eyes and open up his heart to receive the, the things of God. I, and I, I, oftentimes I get to hear people's stories of how they come to, came to know Jesus Christ. And oftentimes I ask the question that when, before you were a follower of Jesus, did you know anybody in your family or your friends or relational network who was praying for you? And you know what? I am batting a thousand. Just about everybody who has a story of coming to faith in Jesus Christ knows someone in their life, in their past, in their family, who was praying for them regularly. And maybe you can do the same thing. You just think of your own story. And think of there's someone praying for you. Just this last uh, month, or just this summer, I got a chance to reconnect with one of my cousins who lives up in the Twin Cities. Um, I haven't seen him uh, for over a decade. And in that decade, he has come to faith in Jesus Christ in a powerful way. And so when we were up there to do some training, we had lunch with him and his wife. And he was like, Mike, Mike, I know your mom was praying for me regularly. I know Aunt Judy, she's a prayer warrior. Your mom is a prayer warrior, and she was praying for me. And, then, and I know that that was part of my story of coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And when I went back home, I'm like, were you praying for Tim, Mom? And she's like, oh, absolutely. I prayed for them every day that they would come to faith in Jesus Christ. I have this friend. His name is Spencer. I think we have a picture of Spencer up there. There's Spencer on the left. Car is the only one that's looking at the camera. There must have been two people taking pictures in there. But uh, but Spencer uh, grew up in and lives in Colorado, and uh, most of his formidable life in his young in his young adult and early and late teens, uh, he spent just about every day stoned on pot. I mean, he's in Colorado, you know, <laughs> and. Uh, and, 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 and even to, th- to this day, when Spencer can't remember something, he hits his head and he goes, a little too much bong to do left up there, you know. And Spencer would describe himself as kind of like a cross between a, a redneck and a hippie, okay. And, uh, but, but God got a hold of his life later in, in life when he was in the late 20s. And he had a radical conversion experience where he turned his life around. And uh, it's just an amazing, amazing thing. And early on in his Christian life, a mentor of his, a friend, told him to make a list of 25 friends who don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior and begin praying for them by name every day. And as he began to pray for them, of course, Spencer, the life that he led and everything, he had no, no problem getting 25 names together, okay, people who weren't following Jesus. And and. Spencer, as he began to share and do life with these people, um, he began, as they stepped over that finish line of faith and believe in Jesus, he began crossing their names off the list. When I last saw him, last time I was with him, I said, Spencer, how's the list coming? And he said, 
to me, I, I just crossed the last person off that list. 25 people that he prayed for by name to come to faith, and they'd all come to faith in Christ. He said the last guy was my friend Flash, and Flash was uh, separated from his wife and living a life of just drunkenness and debauchery. And as I, he goes, I got a chance to baptize him. And as I was baptizing him, he said to me, he says, he says, Spence, say goodbye to the old Flash because I'm a new man now. Isn't that cool? Because he was like Epaphras. Epaphras, you know, Spencer was wrestling in prayer for all of his friends. And then he says this. It says, uh, it says I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Okay? Working hard. I think the last thing we need to do with our friends, we need to see ourselves like an epiphrase, that everyone, no-name people, non-paid professionals, our church planters can help others follow Jesus Christ. And then you go off and you have these relational networks. You make margin and room in your space and your calendar to do life and have friendships with people who are far from God. You begin to pray for them regularly, earnestly, and consistently. And then you work hard in their lives. And Another way to say this, work hard, is you love well. You love them well, okay? You serve them and you let them know that you love them, maybe just by listening to them, maybe just by, uh, you know, taking a meal over to them if they're in the hospital or loaning a car or whatever. Whatever it, is, it looks like, you love them well. And you might be like, well, Mike, it doesn't say love here. You're reading into the text. You know, it says he says that Epaphras was working hard for them. But... I'll give you that. I'll, I'll, I'll grant you that. Okay. But if you turn your Bible page over one page, you go from Colossians to the book of First Thessalonians. And in First Thessalonians, in the first few verses, Paul is commending these Thessalonians for all sorts of things. And he says, we always thank God for all of you mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, and your labor prompted by love. And I don't think it's any stretch of the imagination at all to say that Epaphras' work and labor amongst the Colossians was prompted and motivated out of love. So what would it look like if all, we all began to see ourselves like an Epaphras? We all began to, uh, to have these relationships with people who are far from God, began to pray for them earnestly, began to love them well and appropriately. I believe we'd be able to see what Epaphras saw. Perhaps maybe a small group or a church develop in the midst of that. Uh, in the last couple of years, one of the greatest privileges and, and joys of my life is, has been being invited into this group of guys from the city. Our common denominators are mountain biking, and, uh, and I've been invited into the tribe, so to speak. And these guys have be- become my group of best friends. And, uh, and it's just been a joy and a privilege to hang out with these guys. They're a mixed group religiously, spiritually. Some of them go to church. Some of them don't. Some of them believe. Some of them don't. But, uh, but I made a, an agreement with them very early on that I said, if you don't treat me as a pastor, I won't treat you like a pastor. And they were like all on board for that. So we're doing life together, hang out together. We're going to go over to somebody's house tonight and have dinner with them tonight. 
But it's just been great, great because when I get with them, I'm not Pastor Mike or colleague Mike or anything like that. I'm just Mike. I just get to be Mike. And I just get to be friends with these guys. And I'm praying for them daily. They know that I'm praying for them. I tell them that I'm praying for them, you know. And I ask them, how, I can pray for, how can I pray for you? And I want to be able to love them well because they love me well. And, uh, and just this week when, um, when our grandson was first born on Thursday morning, the, my first texts went out. And, it, and it, it wasn't to staff. Sorry, Ryan. And it wasn't to my family. It was to this group of guys. And they all began to text me back with congratulations and encouragement and all sorts of cool support. And you might ask yourself, well, Mike, you okay, so are, are you having any influence on them or anything like that? Are you like that? And uh, I, I don't know. No, uh, you're you're going to have to ask one of them. But to my shock, as I was giving this message just a half an hour ago in West Bend, I looked out in the audience and one of them was there with his family. And I'm like, that's cool. So I don't know what it's going to take to reach them, but I know this. I do know this. If we build it, they won't come. So we have to go to them. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for these few short verses in Colossians about Epaphras, about how he was this normal everyday follower of Jesus, not a paid professional, but he had this incredible relational network that he took advantage of and waded into and loved well and prayed for. And the church was started in this city called Colossae because of him. Lord, I pray that every single person here would see themselves as a potential epithet. That every single one of us can do exactly what he did. And we pray that you would work and move. This is such a unique church. Pray that everybody here would see themselves as being on mission with you. To wade into their community, make friends with those who are far from you, who are never going to darken the doors of their church. doesn't matter how cool the preacher is or how good the music is or how good the coffee is. They're just not going to. And so we need to go to them and be a visible, tangible demonstration of the love of God. We pray this in Jesus' name.